few months ago, I was just seeking the Lord in prayer, and I was just really stirred in my heart. And as I was stirred in my heart, the Lord just started speaking to me about the things that were going to come upon upon the world and upon the church. And I was really excited. I was so excited. I was just rejoicing. I wrote it down, and, and I rejoiced. And I went to bed that night, and I woke up the next day, and my heart was then captivated in an urgency because all of a sudden I started thinking, well, Lord, all those that don't know you, and it brought me to my knees in, in just in, in weeping and praying for those that didn't know the Lord. And I just want to share with you this morning uh, what the Lord spoke to my heart. But before I do, I want to minister on our portion of scripture in Luke chapter 3. Now, this message is evangelistic, so it's not for you guys. But as my family, there was a burden in my heart. I really wanted to share it with you guys first. I also ask you to keep me in prayer as I believe the Lord will actually minister this across other churches. Now, please know in advance that I actually find this ministering this topic to be quite difficult. The portion of scripture is actually quite difficult. As preparing it, it confronted me as I prepared it, and I know it's confronting others as we even hear it. And I'd even prefer somehow to even avoid ministering on this topic. But as believers, I know that we believe in the whole counsel of God. As we draw closer to the end of the age, we even need that even more. So let, let us simply pray. Lord, as we come before you, Lord, we thank you for your word. Lord, we thank you for your joy. We thank you for your confidence. We thank you for your assurance, Lord. You are wonderful. You are gracious, Lord. Lord, I thank you for my family here. At CCD, I thank you, Lord, for placing me in this body. And I simply ask, Lord, that you have your right of way, Father, that you glorify your name today. Amen. Amen. Now, I've entitled this message, The Three Baptisms. I want to start off going back to Malachi, just to present this chapter. Now, after... The word of the Lord came to Malachi, and Malachi prophesies, and he prophesies judgment and repentance. The Lord was silent for about 400 years until John the Baptist comes into the scene. No word of God was given whatsoever. And then all of a sudden, John the Baptist comes, and the first fulfillment of Malachi's prophecy is John the Baptist comes in the spirit and the power of Elijah. And John's first words by God was given. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And directly after this time, we see Jesus and he's baptized in the Holy Spirit. And then he's led into the desert for 40 days and 40 nights. Yet he was tempted and did not sin. And after this time, he came out of the desert. And John is put into prison. And shortly thereafter, Jesus says in Matthew chapter 4, verses 17, From that time on, Jesus began to preach and to say, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is is at hand. And then on the day of Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit falls on the 120 in the upper room, and all are baptized in the Holy Spirit, and the church is born. And you have there in the midst of, there's a huge crowd, and the crowd's looking around going, what is going on? These people must be drunk. And others were kind of confused as to what is going on in this place. And then Peter stands up in the midst of them, 
And as he stands in the midst of the first thing he speaks as he's moved by the Holy Spirit is Joel chapter 2. And he talks of wonders and signs and the Spirit of God being poured out and the judgment that is coming. And as he continues to speak, these are the words in Acts chapter 2. Peter said to them, repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. My first point is repentance. It's a difficult topic for us. And we are a people of repentance. And why is it so important? See, the message of salvation hasn't changed. Repentance is the first step of salvation. It is the beginning of the gospel. John preached repentance and judgment. And this is the bad news. But the good news isn't the good news until we know what the bad news is is all about. The word repent means a change of mind, a change of direction. You can feel bad for your sin without repenting. You can say sorry and still not repent. Sometimes people say sorry because they get caught in their sin, but they're truly never repented. We can even kind of change our minds slightly without really fully repenting. And someone say to me, Dave, listen, we don't really talk about repentance in the church because the Bible says that there is no condemnation in Christ Jesus. Amen. I agree 100%. There is no condemnation. But condemnation is different than conviction. Condemnation leads to hopelessness and is of the devil. Conviction leads to repentance and is God's grace to us. Genuine repentance is being so sorry that your heart is broken because you realize that we realize that we've offended our Lord. And a deep sorrow develops within us. It causes us to humble ourselves before the Lord and ask for forgiveness. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 10, for godly sorrow produces repentance, leading to salvation. I'd like to move on and talk about the fruits of repentance. John in our portion of scripture says these words. He says, bring forth fruit worthy of repentance. What does this mean? In simplicity, because we're so sorry that in our heart you set boundaries in place that you'll never do it again. Why? Because we are disgusted with our sin. And if needed to, we seek restitution and reconciliation. Fruits which comes out of a genuine repentance. And an example of this can be found in Luke chapter 19 with Zacchaeus. The tax collector. And the Bible says that he has stood and said to the Lord, Lord, look, I give half of my goods to the poor. And if I take anything from anyone by false accusations, I restore fourfold. And Jesus said to him, today, salvation has come to this house. It's more than just words. But the Bible says that you will know them by their fruits. Your repented life is revealed by your actions, your behaviors. We can try to hide our sin from God, but it will be dealt with now or it will be dealt with on the day when we stand before him in judgment. And we as a people can try to fool others because we're all, ultimately we're just people and we can easily deceive others, but the Lord we can never deceive. We need to understand that there's actually no hope of restoration without repentance. We, we can't get saved without 
repentance. And John in our portion of scripture deals with religious Israel. And he says these words, he says, don't say that we have Abraham as our father. Don't say that you grew up in church or you're a good, or in a good Christian home. We have wonderful traditions and we have wonderful cultures. No, these will not do. John goes on, he says, the ax is already at the root of the trees and every tree that does not bear good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. John is saying, a tree's main purpose is to produce fruits. Otherwise, it's only good for firewood. Genuine repentance produces a fruit of a changed mind, a changed heart, a changed life. We will know them by their fruits. We can fast. We can pray. We can go to church every single day. I realize that rhymed only when I did that. <laughs> you can give all that you have to the poor, but your dedication and sacrifice will amount to nothing unless we first repent and turn to Jesus. David understood this best in Psalms chapter 51. Listen to this, verse 17. And you do not desire sacrifice or else I would give it. You do not delight in burnt offerings. The sacrifices are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. These, O oh God, you will not despise. Our good works will never get us into heaven. Our Father in heaven desires repentance. Why? Because he loves us. And he desires that no one will perish, but that all will come into everlasting life. And that can't happen unless we repent first. Now, to repent and to believe are actually opposite sides of the same coin. You realize by the grace of God that we're going in the wrong direction. And all of a sudden, the Lord deals with us. And as we turn away from our sin and we turn to the Lord, which means to repent, Jesus, by his grace, saves us from our sins. The enemy of our souls has done a great job by removing repentance in the church. We speak about it here. We spoke about it even before we, we started uh, ministering this word. We believe in that. But the enemy has done a great job in removing it. From the church abroad we need to understand that our sin is an offense against god it hinders our prayers it brings on the judgment of god and it discredits our testimony to a lost and dying world okay dave listen come on you're being a bit legalistic for me we're living in the age of grace after all listen i, I agree 100 but god calling us to repentance isn't legalism it's his love follow me for a moment we know of Ananias and Sapphira in the New Testament, in Acts chapter 5, at the birth of the church. The scripture says that they lied to the Holy Spirit, and God took their lives. And great fear came upon the whole church and those that heard these things. That was God's instant judgment. But before that happened, Peter stood up and he asked them a question. He was seeking repentance. That was God's grace, yet they continued in their path, and judgment fell. First Peter Verses 4, chapter 17, the Bible says, For the time has come for judgment to begin at the house of God. And if it begins with us first, what will be the end of those who do not obey the gospel? If the righteous one is scarcely saved, where will the ungodly and the sinner be? In Revelation, as we just went through the study of Revelation and the churches, there's seven churches and five of those churches were commanded to repent. We have Ephesus. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the first works, or else I will come quickly and remove your lampstand. 
Pergamos, repent or I will come to you quickly and fight against you with the word of my mouth. We have Thyatira, and I gave her time to repent of her sexual immorality, and she did not. Indeed, I will cast her into a sickbed and those who commit adultery with her into great tribulation unless they repent. We have Sardis. We have the Laodiceans. Because you are lukewarm and either cold or hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth. In modern English, you make me so sick, I throw up. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Therefore, be zealous and repent. Each time, the Lord is letting his people know in advance of what displeases him. Then he tells them to repent. And that's an act of grace. That's an act of his mercy. He warns us because he loves us and gives us time to repent. Now, we know that God is a God of grace. But we also know, and it's, we struggle with in our finite minds, that God is also a just and holy God. And his grace precedes his judgment. Because he is a perfect God, he judges us for our sin. But thankfully, he also forgives us. Amen? And because of his grace, he chastens us and gives us time to repent. It's the picture found in Proverbs chapter 22, verses 15. Foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child, and the rod of correction will drive it far from him. Chasten literally is a picture of a father disciplining his son. Now, we generally don't like the thought of our father disciplining us, but he does so because he loves us. I want to move on, and I want to talk about my final point, which is the Holy Spirit and fire. John's message is that of repentance and judgment. It comes so through, through so strongly, and it's so convicting for us, but he's really preparing the heart spiritually for Jesus Christ. John continues and he says that the one coming after me will baptize you in the Holy Spirit and fire. We understand in scripture that fire represents a few things. One is the presence of God and we see this within Moses and the burning bush or the pillar of fire and of Israel. And we can expand and elaborate and talk about this. And we can talk about the power of the Holy Spirit for service, sanctifying work, his work in our lives. We could even discuss how Jesus says, listen, it's good that I go away. Talking about his death and his resurrection because he will then send the comforter who will convict the world of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment. And some would attribute the baptism of fire that John mentions here to the outpouring of the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 2. But then all of this in this instant would actually be out of context. Because in the book of Acts, the wording is tongues that looked like or resembled fire. So there's three baptisms here in closing that John is talking about. The first one we discussed already, which is the baptism of water, which symbolizes repentance. And we've already dis discussed that. There's the baptism of the Holy Spirit, which occurs firstly when we repent and accept Jesus Christ. And we are baptized into the body of Christ as the Holy Spirit dwells within us. And he washes us clean from sin. We are born again, set free, and heaven becomes our home, avoiding the coming judgment. And we also know about the Holy Spirit as he comes upon the believer in baptism, empowering us, equipping us for service as we're found in Acts chapter 2. And I believe in the baptism of the Holy Spirit, and I thank God for that. I wouldn't be able to ever stand before you to minister in any way unless by the Lord's grace and by his Spirit. But the baptism of fire. Now, I found this quite interesting because it just 
It just didn't seem to add up to anything that I know of, of, the, of the sense of the Holy Spirit. And, and John refers to this baptism as a way to illustrate the picture of someone being submerged. We understand baptism is submerged. You go down and you come back up. But it's symbolizing something that we would never in our day and age ever refer to as baptism. Because it wouldn't make sense to us in, in those words. Fire here symbolizes a judgment that's coming at the end of the age that all unbelievers will go through. When the Lamb of God who took away the sins of the world becomes the judge of the living and the dead. And John the Baptist gives us a picture of this in verses 17. Let's read that again as we close. He will baptize you in the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fan is in his hand and he will thoroughly clean out his threshing floor and gather the wheat into his bar, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. That's a picture, picture the farmer here. That's a picture of a farmer who has a three-prong hook, the winnowing fan, and he's grabbing the wheat and he's throwing it into the air and he's throwing it into the air. The strong wind comes by, grabs a chaff which is light, and blows to the side when the heavy wheat falls back to the ground. And then that chaff is gathered up and it is burned in the fire. It actually reminds me of a parable that Jesus spoke about of the wheat and the tares in Matthew chapter 13. He says, allow them both to grow to the end of the age. And then the tares will first be gathered together in bundles and thrown into the fire. And the wheat will come into the barn. And the only difference between the wheat and the tares, because they're visually identical, was that the tares had no fruit. And some tares that actually had fruit were really small and they're highly poisonous. John's message is foundational to prepare the heart for good news. We need to repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And we know that God's wrath, God's judgment is gonna be poured out at the end of the age. And we hear that, we kind of think, man, that's a, that's a bit hard to accept. But it is his good news to us, his grace. Now, for those of you who don't know the Lord, again, I know a lot of faces here and there's a lot of faces I don't. But for those of you who don't know the Lord, put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ and he will deliver you. He will set you free from sin and from the coming judgment that's to come. And heaven will be your home. For us believers, we need to walk. We need to walk in a, in a spirit of repentance. Throughout our walk, we sin and we sin daily. Repentance is a crucial part of our ongoing growth and fellowship with the Lord. As we humble ourselves before the Lord and we work out our salvation in fear and trembling and we ask him for his forgiveness when we sin and he who is just and faithful will forgive us and restore us. The Bible says he's coming at a time and an hour we don't know. We don't know. We need to be ready like the virgins. The five virgins had their lamps full, ready for the bridegroom to appear. Amen? I just want to share the word of the Lord that the Lord spoke to me. The Lord says these words. Am I but a man who forgets the times and the seasons? Are not my promises yes and amen? For I tell you that my judgment is coming upon this earth and my wrath is about to be poured out. And judgment belongs first to my house, and if the righteous is scarcely saved, where will the sinner and ungodly be? Yet as my mercy endures forever, so my grace precedes my judgment, and my heart is for the lost to bring them into the sheepfold. 
Therefore, I shall pour out my spirit afresh upon the church. Cleanse yourselves before me, prepare your hearts, and abstain from evil. Repent and be refreshed, for I shall bring a revival that the world has never experienced before, and my name shall be lifted up in your midst again. The walls of your building shall not contain my work. And upon completion, when the last sheep shall be brought in, then I will bring my judgment upon this earth that has never been seen before and shall never be seen again. For the cries of my people have come up from before me, and I will respond to this, for my word is sure, and my timings perfect. Let us pray. Father God, as we come before you, Lord, Lord, your word is yes and amen. Lord, we thank you, Father, for your encouragement. Lord, we thank you for your blessing. Lord, we thank you for saving us from allowing your son to die upon Calvary's cross to save us, Lord, from the judgment, Lord, that is coming. Your spirit, Lord, has been dwelling within us, and you have baptized in your spirit, equipping us, Lord, for the service that you set before us individually, Father, and we thank you for that. Lord, have your right of way. Pour out your spirit, God, upon this church in such a powerful way, Lord, a powerful way, God, fulfill your word. Lord, that this congregation is shaken to the core in such a mighty way, God, that signs and wonders shall follow and precede your people as they stand in the gap that you've called them to stand, to proclaim your word that you've called them to proclaim as the lights within the community, Lord. Have your right of way, Father. Glorify your Glorify because your name is holy, your name above all things. Glorify it, Father. Have your right of way, Lord. Have your right of way, 